Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Hanslick, and I'm the chairman of Boyer Miller. In today's episode, you will meet Robin Staniland. Robin is a great resource for any entrepreneur or business owner for many reasons. First, she founded and built her own company, a software IT consulting firm, grew it to over 150 employees, and then sold it. Since that time, she's been a master chair within the Vistage organization, working with CEOs and entrepreneurs and helping them grow their business. She also has an M&A consulting firm where she does the same thing. In this episode, you'll hear Robin talk about the importance of setting a strategy with the end in mind, as well as the importance of establishing core values in your business so that you have those in place when you're making difficult decisions. Robin, it's great to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So we know, or I know, that that you've done a lot of things over your career and you're currently a Vistage chair. Can you just maybe give our listeners a little more detail about your background and experience in, in the corporate world? Sure. I started as a administrative assistant at McDonnell Douglas to pay to put myself through college. So I put myself through college as a secretary and then got involved in the IT department and went to work for a person that was running avionics division and IT. And so that's how I got my introduction into my next phase, which was SQL Systems. Okay. And that's a that was a custom application development company that was started from scratch with some guys that I worked with at McDonnell Douglas. So we built SQL Systems and sold it in December '99, and then I opened up my M and A practice in 2001. Stayed to transition new owners for a couple of years, and then realized I really didn't want to have bosses. Okay, yeah. So uh, <laughs> and and the main reason actually was because my uh, kids were 15 and eight at the time, and I realized. With my biggest client being in Hong Kong and my travel schedule 40% of the time I was on the road, my Vistage group actually helped me become very aware of the fact that I was probably not paying enough attention to my family that I needed to. Oh, so great. that's kind of how I chose my next, that's how I chose to go into the M&A world. The um, selling SQL systems was so much fun. We sold it to Cerebus, which is a VC firm on Wall Street. It was exciting, fun. Learned a lot. The guys that bought us were ex McKenzie, and staying with, working with them with two years was like a MBA program and super fun. Oh, yeah. But I was very absent. I bet. And yeah. so my Vistage group helped me see the fact that you only get one shot at being a parent, and that I was their words exactly were you're pretty cool and everything, but we're not sure we could be married to you. <laughs> <laughs> so you might want to pay a little more attention to your husband. <laughs> well, look, it, it's true, right? I mean, it's hard to find that balance sometimes. It is very hard. So the M&A practice helped me do that. I decided I worked with an organizational therapist through Vistage, and she helped me come to terms with my non-negotiables. And I came up with a list of a few things. One was which I didn't want to travel anymore. 
Two, I didn't want to uh, have employees. I had 150 of them. It's a lot of responsibility. And so I, I didn't want that. I didn't want, um, I wanted the freedom and flexibility of my schedule because I made a KPI was to be home 85% of the time when my kids got home from school. But I wanted to still be making as much money as I was making as a CEO. Yo, okay. So I had a lot of things. And so that's how I went out to figure out what I wanted to do. And that's why I started the M&A firm. Yeah, and the... So organizational therapist, I don't know if I've heard that term before. So It's like a business psychologist. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, very good. So then that led to your consulting practice, right? That led to the M&A work, yeah. And that turned into a lot of consulting because you could talk to a business owner and they want to sell their business, but their business isn't ready to sell. Or they think it's worth $10 million and it's really worth a million dollars. So I did a lot of helping people understand what it takes to sell their business and the pillars of value, and then what they needed to do. And then I would help give them a game plan to do that. And then ultimately, you know, usually that's a three to five year thing. So then I'm there, was there when they were ready to sell to help them go sell it, take it to market and sell it. Some prospects were ready to sell then, but a lot weren't. Right. Well, that's why I think I'm so grateful that you agreed to come on. I think your experience is perfect for our listening base, mm -hmm. which are business owners, entrepreneurs, or people that are thinking about doing that. And you've seen it from every angle. I mean, starting your own company, growing it, selling it, and then moving into this consulting role, if you will, where you advise people on what they really have and what do you really want to do with it and help them get there. Right. And then the vistage practice of coaching CEOs and owners figured out on their own through your questioning is quite fun also. Well, good. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, like I said, so we could probably do a series of things with you. Maybe we'll okay. as this conversation <laughs> goes on. So, yeah. so let's talk about, you know, kind of maybe the phases that a, that a entrepreneur or business owner may go through and, and some of the stories, maybe advice you give stories you've seen of success or where there have been setbacks as we go through these. I want to talk about starting out first. Mm -hmm. And so when you're working with someone who's starting their own business or has just started, what are some of the key fundamentals, you used the word pillars a minute ago, that you often bring to the table or suggest they consider implementing into their business? Well, someone's just starting out. If they've already made the decision and they've already started, right, they've hopefully done the due diligence on what they're getting ready to go do. You would be amazed at how many people start a business without thinking about you know, that their competitive advantages and what they're going to be bringing to the table and who's out there already doing it, barriers to entry, all that good stuff. So assuming they've already started. Well, maybe um, you should start with those. What oh. are some of those? <laughs> you know, you never know. I mean, well, I mean it, depends on the, it, it depends on the business sure. right, that they're starting. And a lot of people, when people, I find that most people who are entrepreneurs and are starting something from scratch, they're, if you've ever read the E-Myth, Yes. Okay. So they're that technician of whatever it is. They're just really good at something. And they think, oh, I'm really good at this. I'm going to go do it myself. I'm going to hang out a shingle and do it myself. And so they don't realize the other components to running a business, right? You've got to have those systems and processes in place. Right. So a new entrepreneur, I would say, really take the time to think about how do you systematize this business? How would you, not that you're going to franchise it, but how would you franchise it, if you will? Sure. And that's one of those things that we were talking about earlier, your guest, Jackie Fisher, Right. Movers, that was having worked with her for so long. That was the pivotal moment, in my opinion, of when her business kind of did that hockey stick. Okay. It was when she figured out that secret of systematizing and putting the processes in place, the repeatable processes. 
that you can teach over and over again so you can just plug and play. Instead of being, so a lot of entrepreneurs, they end up being the business. So they're the good technician, right? And then they end up being the best salesperson and they end up being the the CFO because they don't want anybody to see their numbers. And so they end up being, and that's really... Not scalable. It's very limited. not sellable. Right? (laughs) It's definitely not sellable. So I think the whole Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind is super important when you're starting your business. One of the first questions when someone interviews to be a a Vistage member of mine, one of the very first questions I ask them is, you know, what's your exit strategy? And you would be amazed how many people haven't thought about their exit strategy. And I really believe even if I'm starting a business today, I'm thinking about my exit. What is it? It, I mean, maybe you don't want to have one. Maybe this or maybe the exit is I want my children to to take over this business. It doesn't necessarily always mean a transaction. Sure. But you have to think through because you're going to build it for that. Exactly right. You got to build towards something. Otherwise, you're just going as if you got in your boat and you're going to sail to Mexico. You know, eventually you'll get there. But if you have a charted course, you'll probably get there a lot more efficiently. Right. You'll have the right supplies, and you'll you know, you'll make the trip a lot yes. more pleasant yeah. if you know where you're going. And it won't be by chance. That's right. And so I'm a big believer in in strategic planning. I don't think there's a bad plan. Like there's all kinds of methodologies out there, whether it's EOS or just a person's, you know, a consultant who has their own or Vern Harnish, whatever. It doesn't really matter the plan. It's the execution of the plan. Right. So otherwise it's just pretty paper. And that's where most people fail is they don't execute on their plan. And, and so I think that's really important to start with a plan, start with a plan, figure out what it is, you really, where you want to take this That's and end right. up. Yeah. You know? And so if you know where you want to be, so it's, it's just like kind of like that lesson. I don't know about you, but my mom always taught me when I was young, you dress for the position you want, right? And so it's the same thing, right? Build it for the company you want it to be. I'm sure your marketing person, who's lovely, by the way, that we just met, Thank would you. tell you, if you're going to create, you want to get to be a $100 million company, well, then create the collateral that looks like a $100 million company. Right. Right. And so same thing in the plan of where you want to go. If I want to be a hundred million dollar company, I need to think about what does that look like now, even as a startup, even if I'm the name that goes in every box, I need to know what the boxes are. Right. And I need to know the priority of the boxes. Right. What comes first? What's the first resource I need? You know, is the first resource an operations person or is the first resource a salesperson, depending on what your Strengths are. Right. Identifying your own strengths and weaknesses, right? Yeah. And build around your weaknesses. That's right. And yeah. and yeah, build your team around your weaknesses. A lot of us hire people we like instead of people we need. I like yeah, I can see where that would be. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. It, and it's a bigger problem when the person you like maybe doesn't work out and it was a friend or something and or becomes a friend and then yeah. you have to have a hard conversation. So that's something I wouldn't do as a startup is hire friends and family if you can avoid it. <laughs> so in my Vistage work, I work with a number of companies that are have family embedded in the company. So it's very difficult to navigate if you're going to grow a, a, a true enterprise. Very difficult to do in a small a family environment, right? Cause sure. Same with hiring friends. Partnerships are tough. I don't see many partnerships that work. Yeah. So maybe we're hitting on some, but if you think about maybe a couple of things, and you mentioned Jackie, that someone starting out did right that really propelled their success, you know, other than Jackie, anything come to mind? Well, I mean, starting with the end in mind. So, you know, thinking about how do I really want to structure the business and what are my core values? 
right? right? And hiring and firing to those core values. A lot of times when we start up, we're kind of desperate for people who are going to come and, you know, hitch their, hitch to our wagon. And so really making sure you're staying true to your value system and keeping a focus on the culture you want to build. Yeah. And um, I think that's super important too. Any setbacks that uh, you see people go through that either took the company down or almost did, but... Oh, goodness, yeah. Yeah. Can you give us a few examples of those? Partnerships. So I have this saying, which I know you've heard because you're in my Vistage group. (laughs) Unspoken expectations are premeditated resentments. And I find what happens a lot in partnerships, we're doing this thing because we're friends and we've been talking about it on weekends when we're sitting around watching the ball game and having a few bourbons and we we think we could do this better than our bosses can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But we get into it and then we haven't really set the expectations on what each of our responsibilities are. What are we both going to bring to the table? You know, I've seen it fall apart a lot of times, personally and in my clients. Uh, yeah. When there's not clear expectations set, and I, and I, I don't. It's not just around partnerships, right? It's about any employee you hire, having those success factors. What's gonna, what are, what's gonna make you successful in this job? And right. let's set those clear expectations. Up and, and I would say, you know, not to be too technical, but if someone thinks we're talking about partnership, it's really any entity. You could be an LLC, right? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, yes, yes, yes. It's, it's going in business together, make sure that everyone's on the same page about things. Make sure you have yes. good documents that... Oh my gosh, will, that's where you come in really handy. Well, we hope so. We <laughs> Hire hope so. a good attorney if you're starting a business, especially with a partner. <laughs> so, you know, that, I think we, we, I would say we've seen a lot of the same. If I bet. people can come to us after they've done those things and then, so, you know, either a group of four and two are mad at uh, the other two or yes. something... And the document doesn't provide any guidance. Yes. Um, I bet you've seen a lot of that. We have. We have. And so we, we always tell people, don't do 50-50 or have a tiebreaker solution. Mm. You'd be surprised how many people do. Yeah. Um, yeah. That you would be surprised. So very f- best piece of advice if you're starting a business is call Boyer Miller. Right. <laughs> and have them help you set it up right. I'm going to have to pay you for that. <laughs> so let's, so kind of that's, I guess, some looking at startups and when you think about the way you built your company key fundamentals that you felt like y'all put into place you and your partners put into place that really set you up for success and maybe it's just in looking back you're like wow so glad we did that didn't realize how lucky yeah i wish i could say that we were smart about that or maybe more i wish i could say we were intentional about that you know i was really young and i had never run business before I will tell you, and I, this is not a plug for me, but joining Vistage was pivotal and instrumental in our ability to build that company so quickly and sell it. There's, I, and I, like I said, it's not a commercial for myself, but it really was yeah. because I didn't know. And, and, and I, that's where I learned. I don't have an MBA. I have a marketing degree. I, I didn't learn all that stuff in college. And I, I didn't learn it on the job because, like I said, I had put myself through school as a secretary. Right. And when I was in the work world prior to that, it was more of an analyst position. Okay. And so it was on the job training for sure. But what I did have is the passion for what we were doing and the belief that we could get there. So I knew where we were headed and it was about just getting people to come and follow. But the lessons, the business lessons I learned in Vistage were, were what really made the difference. And I would say it's all these things that I talked to you guys about, right? It's about setting, having a good strategy and being deliberate about your culture yeah. and having core values that you hire and fire on and setting clear expectations when you hire people. 
And then it's about really incenting people to have a common purpose. I really believe in, in a team that can hold each other accountable and not having to have a boss that holds you accountable. And so you have to have something that you're all working towards together, whether that's, you know, a common purpose, I think, is sure. essential. Well, I think that's not as much easier to say than to do, right? And figuring out how that... What that is. What that is. It's going to incentivize the team in a way that is good for the company and its growth, but also good for that team. Yeah. What You mentioned culture, and to take you back to your company, what did you do to really build the culture and, more importantly, sustain it? Gosh, I don't know that... As much as we were a team of very young people who were all kind of at that same stage in our careers. And so we were truly a team. And I, everybody ha- everybody's opinions mattered. And we were building something together. Yeah. But I think of some of my Vistage members who have cultures in today's world, right? This, that was back in the 90s when I was doing that. Very different now, <laughs> very right? Very different. Very different. And, but if I think about like one of my members right now who is a software company, and the things that they have done, they have the most unique culture of all my clients. And I spend over a 1,000 hours a year in one-on-one conversations with CEOs and business owners. And I don't know how many hours a year in the groups, right? And so I hear a lot about different companies and different cultures. And, sure. But this particular company's culture is all about having everybody included and focused on the profit. It's an owner's mentality. Their goal from the beginning, from when they were $1,000 in sales, was to have an ownership thinking. And they share their numbers and everybody profits in the numbers and they created a work environment that has a running track, two gyms. You can bring your dogs to work. There's a kennel there. You get $2,000 a year to spend any way you want as long as you're taking a class in something. You can go to wine tasting if you want. You can go to rock climb, whatever. the. But they want you to enrich yourself and learn something new. You want to go to college? They'll pay for that too. But sure. this is just something to enrich your life and make you better. They, they set up teams. They, it's so cool. Once a year, you get, I think, 16 hours during work hours to come up with new idea, innovative ideas of new things that the company could do, whether it's wow. with their existing products or, or some innovative thing How that innovative. the company doesn't do. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean. And then you, you get a, create a team, and your team presents it to the company. And then the company can either do something with it or not. But they've had all kinds of new ideas for their company that way. Very unique. You know, this is you know a company that during the whole COVID thing gave back to their community. They gave money to their employees to to say, hey, pick companies in your community that are suffering and we'll help them, much like the government's helping and give them scholarship money to help keep them. You know, the companies that couldn't get PPP money, sure. the dry cleaners, the, you know, people who didn't have a bunch of employees wasn't going to be anything. Right. But they let their employees think about their community. This is a company that when Ike happened, and so many people were suffering. It was Ike or Harvey. I think it was Harvey when okay. the, we had all the big fights. Yeah, yeah. They have this huge area in their uh, building that is uh, used for meetings. They turned it, they went out and bought a whole bunch of bunk beds and they turned it into living quarters. And the Amish came down from, from Pennsylvania to help repair people's homes. And they let all of these Amish people, I can't remember how many, maybe it was 50 or so Amish people, live in their office in this space, because they have an industrial kitchen in there so they could cook their meals, so that they'd have a place to stay while they went out and helped the, the community rebuild their homes. They're just, they are just an incredible culture. Like, yeah. I have. I would think they have low turnover. 
Low turnover, yes, yeah. and they're but and they're high tech, and so it's you know interesting work. But there to get hired there is so hard because you have to go through a lot of process to get there. You have yeah. to pass certain tests and assessments. And I recently I said to them, they have like sixty openings right now, and I said to them, one of my old employees applied. I encouraged him to apply. They're like, oh, you're perfect for them. I mean, we're, right? We're soulmates. It'll work. <laughs> But they didn't get hired, and I didn't tell Mr. Memory that I had sent someone I knew. But when they didn't hire him, I I just asked him, "Do you ever think that you miss out on good people because your process is kind Pretty of rigorous?" Rigorous, and they said, um, "We have the best place to work, and we only want great people. And if they can't get through that, then they're not great enough for us. So wow. no, we wouldn't change it for anybody." So they're very jealous of it. Oh my wow. gosh! Yes. So that's a culture that if I were going to build a company today, I would want to build a company like that. But I will tell you, that's a struggle right now after COVID. Everybody yeah. went home. They have a three-building yeah. campus. It's a beautiful campus. Everybody went home. So what do you hear from them about their struggles now, today, in, their, in maintaining their culture? Yeah. What are they struggling with? They're struggling with the fact that they haven't made a mandate that you have to come to back to work yet. They were going to do it in um, the fall when school started. They said, well, we'll do it when school starts. But then uh, that was kind of when this new thing hit and a lot of people had daycare issues. And so they said, oh, we'll wait till the first of the year. They weren't going to, they weren't going to alter it at all. It was just everybody come back. We're going back to the way it was. But so much pushback that they're going to, uh, I think two days a week, you can work from home and the rest, you have to be there. But they've made the decision we're going to have some turnover because of it yeah. and we're just going to have to deal with that because their culture is built around being together sure you know it's very different to if you've been there it's one thing but if you've never worked there and you get hired on you have no idea about this culture of course and you don't have that loyalty to the company that you do once you've experienced that and, been part of that. and i think that you know i don't think they're alone in that i think what i hear and what i've experienced is this you know the separation, the work from home, the quarantine has eroded culture, even good ones, because yes. the really good ones are built on human connection. And yep. that's really what it, it's about. Yep. And when you're not connected or it's only through a video screen, uh, it just it's different. And it's a little it's a little bit more challenging, right, to Much maintain more. those connections. And I like I was with a, in a one to one with one of my CEOs yesterday and they went they got rid of their office. Everybody's gone back, uh, remote. And he said, yes, this really isn't an issue for us. We're as close as we've ever been. We're on teams and we're talking about, I says, okay, but you have a very small group of people and you're one team. Think, now scale that out and think about a larger company where there's many teams. You can get that on a team, but you don't think you can get that as a company. Right. You know, this is a real challenge for this company in particular, but I think it's a real challenge for a lot of our businesses out there. I agree. Okay, so let's kind of move and talk about when you're working with someone that isn't is ready to grow or in that growth stage, mm -hmm. what are some of the fundamentals that you try to get them to focus on to make sure that that they actually can take advantage of that growth or it can be successful? Because sometimes people can grow too fast. They can, and that can be detrimental to the company. Yep, yep. So I think the big part of that is the numbers, right? So they've got to look at what's where's that growth going to come from, and do they need to? Are they going to have to invest a lot of money for organic growth? Or are they going to do that through acquisition? And do they have the financial base to be able to handle that? And then um, 
you know, that then, then are you willing to take on debt for that or are you wanting it to be organic? So a, a lot yeah. of the money piece is determinant on your growth strategy. <clears throat> but let's just say you have enough money, then it's, is it going to be organic or is it going to be acquisition? And then that's, you know, two different, if you're going to go acquire companies, it's, that's one, one set of things. And if you're going to go, if you're going to say, I'm going to hire a sales team and do this organically, that's another set of challenges. Right. So let's talk about it. So let's go the organic route. Mm-hmm. Challenges include, I guess, just the whole recruiting and hiring process, right? That's the biggest one right now today is recruiting and hiring for sure. But it always is, especially in the world of sales, which I'm very passionate about sales. That's really what my core competency was in this in the startup okay. is selling, right? So sales is a big part. It's very hard to hire salespeople. They're very good at selling, so they should be able to sell you on them in an interview, right? right, right. <laughs> at least I hope so. Right. So I'm a big believer in using assessments as at least a third of your hiring process. You know, your interview should be another third and their background another. But, you know, getting the right salespeople on your team. But then something I see that people don't have is good sales process and, good, you know, a good sales model. So okay. I love Sandler sales for that, for example, is they have okay. a great program for teaching you how to put that process in place. So if you get the right sales team, now you should be able to go get the, the business. Now you better have, hopefully you set yourself up with the systems and processes to be able to take on the, the work. That and that's part of the it. equation or evaluation when you're starting to think about growth is right. Is do you have the infrastructure that's right. that can handle it? That's right. Exactly. Okay. So then if you go the acquisition route, mm-hmm. Integration, you're going to be buying a company that has, already has employees, right? Yeah. <laughs> integration can make it or break it, right? Integration can make it or break it. Integration is very hard, very hard. So in choosing a company you're going to buy, you're going to look at all those levers of value that I mentioned earlier, right? So is there, depending on how big they are, is there how involved is their owner? Because I hate to break it to you, but the majority of owners are not going to stay for very long. Right. Because ev- most people sell their business once in a lifetime. And when you sell your business, I tell my, when I am helping someone sell their business, this is your baby. This is like one of your children. Absolutely. And you've just given it up for adoption. And now you're going to live in the house with the people that are going to parent it. And they're going to do things completely different than you. It's a perfect analogy. It's not going to work. It no. isn't. Yeah, eventually, you're not going to be able to, to stay there. And maybe, you know, you've got an earn out. You can pull it off for a little bit. But there's going to be. So so if I'm acquiring a company, it's real important to me to understand that owner's culture, how embedded they are in the culture. Are they the sales process or not? How does this business work without you? So you definitely want to acquire a company that doesn't require the owner. Right. <laughs> An absentee owner is perfect. Yeah. Right. It, well, and I think that even goes to value, right? Absolutely. Because, because if it's all in that one That's person. That's one of those pillars of value. Right. Exactly. And then are the systems and structures in place and how, you know, how the business runs and, you know, there's all those things to look at in doing an acquisition. And now we got to look at how the integration is going to work, right? So who's on those teams and really understanding because the employees, it's so funny. When I sell a business, the, the seller's employees are always afraid that the buyer is going to get rid of them. Right. And the buyer's always afraid that those employees are going to leave. leave. It's like, they wouldn't be buying you if they didn't want the employees. You know, you're fine. Yeah. Right. But Trying people to calm get those nerves. so spooked, right? They do. So, it's human nature, I guess. Yeah. So hoping those people are going to stay. And, and get when you do an acquisition, you want a company that's solid, that people are going to stay. And I think that's where, you know, the acquiring company, the communication becomes so important. All yep. right. And then teaching or letting the, the people that you've acquired 
integrate and learn what the culture is. Yeah. Because without that, you will they will leave if That's they don't right. feel welcomed, if they don't understand the culture. That's um, right. And then there's always going to be some collateral damage and maybe a right. job elimination here or there. But right, but for the most part. Yeah. Outside of that back office stuff that often integrates together and you have to decide who's staying, the majority of the people, they want. Right. Right. And you hit the key on the head. I think the very most important part in any integration is communication. I mean, in the dark is where people create monsters, right? right. You've got to over communicate to the company that you acquire about what's next and who, where their role is and what their place is. And, you know, depending on size, obviously it makes a big difference in the size of the company acquiring and being acquired. There's, there's all a lot of, it depends right. in there, but communication I think is key. So let's talk now about, you've already touched a little bit on it, but the sell or the exit. Mm-hmm. So when you're working with these owners, what are you telling them when they, they get ready to sell a company? Maybe they already have the LOI or they're getting one. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the things you do to prepare them for the process? So if, if I'm taking them to market, the first part is on the financial side, because I'm sure this is no surprise to you, but a lot of small business owners live out of their businesses, right? Right. And so they're showing no profit because they don't want to pay taxes. And then they expect to get these huge multiples on something. I don't know what, because their tax returns show no profit. I'm like, you've pretty much already bought the business from yourself. Right. So <laughs> congratulations. So hopefully they've cleaned up their numbers. Okay. And they've yes. cleaned up their numbers right. enough to get that business sold and get a good multiple for the, the business. But when I talk to them about what to expect in the process, it's first of all, understanding the emotional components of it because I think it's most important. The baby you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. When we use that analogy all the time. Okay, Because it's so true. It is true. It's so true. Right? Yeah. And having a good deal team is paramount because if you don't have the right attorneys again i this keeps coming up but attorneys like yourself who are deal makers and not deal breakers you can i see deals fall apart all the time because the attorneys aren't on board right so making sure you have the right deal team to help shepherd yeah. you through the process or they just get in the way they try to over lawyer points that may be unimportant aren't that to important? their client yeah exactly so. right and so yeah, it's knowing what you want. What are the most important things to negotiate on? Because it isn't always the sale, pr- just the sale price. Right. There's a lot of other things that are real important to an owner that, it, especially an owner that's staying, there's things that are real important. On my on larger deals, there's things that are more important. A recent deal that comes to mind is, you know, this person had a great culture. They were profit sharing, ESOP culture. And so it's real important to him that his, the employees had certain things taken care of and that he wanted that in the deal and in writing. More important than the sale price to him was that my people have been getting profit share. I don't want that to go away. Well, private equity usually doesn't profit share. Right. Um, <laughs> so we had to negotiate some sort of an arrangement that would make that work for the employees. You know, Otherwise, it wasn't going to happen. That's great. So knowing what's important to you and knowing what points you're willing to give on and not give on, I think is... is I, I personally think it's important to have a person doing that for you right? because, you know, buyers and sellers can say things that they don't think will offend the other, but they do. Right. <laughs> and so it, true. it yes. can hurt someone's feelings or cause a rub where it could blow up a deal. Sure. So having someone in the middle that can play the bad guy and keep everybody happy, I think as a facilitator through the acquisition is, is very helpful and can keep a deal on track. Well, that's what everybody wants, right? Yeah. Um, Just get to the close. Yes. So <laughs> with everybody happy. 
So let's talk a little bit about leadership style. Again, you know, you've seen lots of them. What are some of the the attributes of leadership styles that you've seen that have been really successful, you know, in, in growing a company, make, creating and maintaining good culture, you know, tell us about some of those experiences. Well, I think, I think a servant leadership style is, is my style that I think works the best. Also a leadership style that is communicative and vulnerable is willing to admit when they don't know, right? The, the old, what I grew up with was the command and control kind of environment. Right. And, you know, that just doesn't work in today's world. And I'm not sure it worked then. It was just mostly what we got, right? It was all you had, right? <laughs> you didn't know any different. I can't imagine some of my bosses being vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that if you're communicating with people and they know what, they know you, and I think people are willing to, everybody shows up to work in the morning wanting to do a good job. Right? right, And if they like the person they work for and they believe in the vision and they believe where you're going, I think they'll follow you to anywhere and they'll support you in that effort. And I think you have to be there to support them in what they want. I'll tell you, one of my, one of my members who took their company public, and I was amazed by, I always say he's probably the best CEO I've seen from this perspective. You know, He would sit down with you, no matter what level employee you were, and he wanted to know what your goals were. Not your goals for your job. I mean, he wanted that too. But what are your goals in life? What do you want to have, do, and be? What do you want to accomplish? And he would get a whiteboard, and I mean, a a flip chart, and he would write those down for that person. And every few months, six months, he'd pull them in, check in with them, and check in on their goals. And where were they on them? And and he says, your goal might not be to work for me. I want to help you get them. I want to help you get where you want to go. Oh, my gosh. He has such loyal employees, people don't want to leave there. He's gone public. He's one of the uh, fastest growing home builders in the country. He's won all kinds of awards. He's, you know, done a great job. And it's because he, first of all, he understood that he wasn't a home builder. He was a salesman. And, you know, he created a sales engine. He created those processes and procedures on the get-go. Okay. And then he cared about his employees, about what they cared about. And he helps them get what they want in life. And they're devoted to him. One of my daughter's uh, best friends out of college, I helped her get a job there. And she's, she's a few years into it. She was so mad. She's like, so mad at you for helping me get to work there. I'm like, why? She goes, because that's like the job that you want. You always, that's like your forever job. <laughs> it's like meeting your husband in high school, right? You want to experience yeah. the world for her. She didn't want to leave. She didn't want to leave, things, but right? yet she wanted to go see what else was in the world. She right. said, I have to leave to go see what the world has to offer. And now, you know, 10 years later, she goes, that was the best job I would have ever had. I go, I know. <laughs> But anyway, I think a good leader cares deeply for his people, his or her people, and I think they help them get where they want to go. I think and support them along the way. It's beautiful. I agree. I mean, you know, sh- show them you care and you genuinely really care. Yeah, right? you have to be authentic about it, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think so. Help them along the way. So, one or two tidbits of advice if you talking to the, when you do talk to them and then you're talking to them now, you know, if they're listening to this podcast, if you're out there about to start a business, what are one or two things that you think people just, you know, must do to, to set themselves up for success? Make sure you have some financial runway, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure you've done some competitive analysis. Know how you're going to sell your product or service. <laughs> Just because you're good at it doesn't mean you can go out and sell it. So you've got to have that sales component. Where's the revenue going to come from? Create your strategic plan with the end in mind. 
So be clear on where you're going and get that vision of clarity. Figure out what your core values are, because that's probably going to be the core values of your company, and hire and fire to those core values. Don't compromise on that. Please don't hire family and friends if you want to stay <laughs> in that family and stay good friends. <laughs> Try to do it without doing that if you can. That's a good one to end on for that. So let's talk a little bit about you and have some fun. I, maybe you haven't told us. What was your first job before you were a secretary? My first job was working in our family business. So it's kind of sad in that my, grand, my grandparents had a Christmas store. Oh, and my grandfather uh, had a Christmas store in the winter months and an asphalt company in the summer months. But our whole family would work in the Christmas store together. It's great memories. And so my first job was fixing Christmas lights. Okay, so you were like the true seasonal worker before that was. I term. was yes, <laughs> and so I can fix any Christmas light. Of course, today they're a little different than they were back then. But yes, that was my first job. And now I know who to call. I would get a dollar an hour. You call me, I can generally fix them. Okay. Yep. yep. I do get calls still. But my, the business has been in business for 74 years. This is the 74th year. And unfortunately, my cousin is getting divorced and the, the business is going to get shut down through the divorce. And I'm so sad about that because oh, no. one more year would have been 75 years. My so cousin took it... Uh, Horrible story. I don't know if you probably don't want to hear it. But Will it be open this Christmas or no? It won't. This is the last Christmas. And we didn't know that was the last Christmas or else I bet they would have had great sales. Because it's the only little store of its kind. It's I'm, I'm from the East Coast. It's from okay. the East Coast. And, you know, with the big box stores and everything, of course, they probably would have been out of business years ago. But because that's where everybody went to Costello's, it's got a, it's a family thing. People's yeah. grandkids, because their grandparents have been going there for so long. Kind of sure. Thing, so. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll, let's go to something more fun. <laughs> Food preference, Tex-Mex or barbecue? You know, I'm not a big... I'll, I'll eat either one. Come on, Robin. <laughs> if I had to pick, I'd say barbecue. All right, <laughs> barbecue. You, but you're the first person that I've interviewed in these podcasts that, you know, like... Do I have to choose between one of those two? Because I don't like them. I mean, everyone's like, okay. I don't dislike them, but I, yeah. I so, go because my husband likes both. <laughs> well, it's a Texas podcast, so I'm not going to ask about tofu and stuff like that. So, <laughs> all right. If you could take a one-month sabbatical, what would you do and where would you go? I would go somewhere on a beach and just do nothing probably, but listen to the waves. Isn't that terrible? No, it sounds great, actually. I uh, love the beach. It's my happy place is listening to the waves. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I would do. Because I don't take a lot of time off. No, I would say I, I, I share that's for me where I like to go to recharge. Okay. Yes. So I totally get that. Uh, I, you, I, might, you might look down the beach and see me. Okay. There. Awesome. <laughs> well, Robin, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Love your insight. I mean, you have such uh, an amazing journey and experiences that, you know, where you've got to work with so many different business owners that... It's a privilege. Uh, it really is a privilege to do the job I do. It's well, awesome. I've enjoyed getting to know you, obviously, outside of the podcast, and uh, I've gotten a lot of value from knowing you, and I think we'll have to find a way to bring you back on awesome. later. I so, love it. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast, and you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.